Thanks for listening to the podcast from Old Town Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Old Town Church is passionate about making disciples for the glory of God in Old Town and around the world by inviting people to know the gospel, experience biblical community, and live on mission. If you're in the Rock Hill area, we invite you to join us for worship every Sunday. If you're not in our area, we encourage you to find a gospel-believing church near you. We hope this podcast is a blessing to you as we seek to follow Jesus and the grace of his gospel. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning again, Old Town Church. My name's Daniel Pretty, um, known as many of you around these parts as Kathy's husband. Um, this is my wife, Kathy, and um, well, you're already standing, so if you will, we're um, going to read God's word together. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of the Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a prosecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But, but for whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him having not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here at Old Town, and uh, so glad that you're you're with us this morning. Um, you know, confidence is a funny thing, right? Confidence, this this uh, this firm trust, like the ability to to rely on something, uh, is is something that we experience a lot in life. Maybe we have confidence in someone, or confidence in ourselves, and. Or sometimes maybe we have a complete lack of confidence. When I was uh, playing football in high school, I had a knee injury. And um, as part of that, I was out for the rest of that season, had to have surgery. And in like the recovery time, um, my knee had been mobilized. They had done surgery on it. So like trusting my knee again was a really difficult thing for me to have that confidence that like if I like run and like plant on that foot, like can I actually trust that knee to to hold up while I'm while I'm doing that? And then sometimes there's maybe not a lack of confidence, but too much confidence. You know, you think about a, a familiar story to all of us, the Titanic, uh, who believing itself unsinkable had no evacuation plan, uh, nor enough lifeboats for its over uh, 2,000 passengers, um, thinking that it was unsinkable, did run into an iceberg, just a, a horrible thing. You know, confidence, whether it be a lack of confidence or uh, too much confidence is something that uh, you know, we experience a lot in life um, that we place in others, that we might place in ourselves. And ultimately today, uh, the Apostle Paul is going to challenge for us, where does our confidence lie? In whom are we placing 
our confidence in. And so our, our big idea as we continue in, in our series on the book of Philippians and Philippians chapter 3 is this, that we can confidently rejoice in our relationship with God because it's rooted in the work of Christ and not our own efforts. We can confidently rejoice in our relationship with God because it's rooted in the work of Christ and not our own efforts. You know, the, the, the beauty of the Christian life is that our joy is not found in our circumstances or in our own efforts. That even as Brian was sharing about what the Denaldens have walked through over these last couple of weeks, that, that there is a, a root of joy for them in the midst of, of struggle and heartache. But our confidence and our joy is ultimately in Christ, who is perfect in every way and unchanging. And so as a people, we can be confidently joyful because our joy is rooted in Christ. And that's what Paul's going to walk us through in these 11 verses this morning. And so uh, we will begin this morning just in verses one, uh, actually just in verse one. And here's our, our first point today. Christian confidence comes from cultivating a rhythm of delighting in Christ. <clears throat> Christian confidence comes from cultivating a rhythm of delighting in Christ. Uh, in, in verse one, Paul says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. All right, Paul says, like, I don't mind saying this to you again. This is a message that Paul had repeated over and over to the Philippians. It's not a trouble for him to repeat this idea of rejoicing in the Lord. Now, how do you rejoice in the Lord? What does that even mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, it quite literally means to find joy in him, that there is a, a delight to enjoy him, to be happy in him, to delight in him. And ultimately, that's easy for us to do because the object of that delight is actually something that's overwhelmingly delightful. All right. And so if, uh, for example, um, the verse said, uh, finally rejoice in a duck. I don't know. Uh, you know, like rejoice in a duck. Like there's, you're like, it's a duck. It's cute from afar. It's quacks are nice once in a, every while. But when you get close, I once watched a duck attack my grandmother. All right. And so like there's, you don't find joy in that ultimately. Right. Or if it's like rejoice in a sock. Okay. You don't like, there's no socks are nice when they're warm on your feet or this time of year. I like the fuzzy ones. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the Christmas sweater patterns. Those are like my favorite. Right. But like ultimately that's not a, I don't, you don't rejoice in a sock. All right, it's, it's, a, it's a fleeting thing, right? It's not, he says, rejoice in the Lord. We're, we're told to rejoice in him. And the, the beauty, unlike, I suppose, in this example, a duck or a sock, I don't know, this is weird, uh, or like a house or, or your job or your financial situation or people in your life, or your friends, all of these things, as opposed to rejoicing in them, as you rejoice in the Lord, the beauty is that he only grows more and more beautiful the more you learn of him. And so there's no end to actually rejoicing in him. It's this thing that keeps feeding itself. It gets better and better and better. Every new thing you learn about him only shows you how wonderful he actually is. And you didn't realize how wonderful he was before that. It just gets better and better and better. And so there's no end to delighting in Christ. In fact, actually, it's why for eternity, we will be able to delight in him and it will never be old to us. That for, for eternity, for those who are in Christ, there is this everlasting delight in Christ and worship of him, and it will never fall flat, it will never end, there will never be an, it just will go on and on and on because he is that good and good and better and better. And so I, I will say this to you, <clears throat> 
Christians should be pleasure seekers. And I know a lot of times in Christian circles, it's like, ooh, pleasure. I'm like, no, 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 no. We have to put your pleasure to the side. It's like, no, 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 no. We should be seekers of pleasure. We should be those who ultimately, as opposed to seeking our pleasure in earthly things that you know leave you unsatisfied. They're good for a little bit. Fuzzy socks are nice for a season, right? But they're not good in the summer. Like these things that we find pleasure in are fleeting. They won't satisfy. But finding pleasure in the Lord God who can fill us up with a satisfaction that only comes from him for all of eternity. He is that good. And so Paul says that this is worth repeating. Rejoice in the Lord. And he says at the end, it's safe for you. And what Paul is communicating here is rejoicing in the Lord is actually a protection for you. It's good for you to do that, to discipline yourself towards rejoicing in the Lord because it actually protects you from things. It protects you from legalism. It protects you specifically in this context for Paul and the Philippians. It protects you from a false gospel. When we remind ourselves to rejoice in the work of the Lord, it's this muscle memory that helps us become aware when something's off. When we're, when we're realizing as I'm, I'm rejoicing in the Lord over here and I'm hearing a different message, I'm going to recognize that as a wrong and false message. Ultimately, rejoicing in the Lord is a safeguard against the attacks of the enemy who is seeking to lie to us and cause us to believe things about God that aren't true. He's been doing it since the garden, right? He's got to lie to us and tell us, hey, you, you need to perform more for God. He is not pleased with you, that you're going to need more than just faith in Jesus for God to be satisfied in you. He tries to convince us that if we can just try enough that we can be pleasing to God on our own, that we can perform close enough to perfection and then Jesus can kind of fill the rest for us. The, the enemy also tells us that the, the difficulty that we're walking through is because God has rejected us, that he has abandoned us, that he has forgotten us, that he is ignoring us. The enemy makes you question, is God really good? Or in the garden, did God really actually say that? The enemy makes you wonder, does God really love me? If he did, why am I walking through this thing? If God was good, he wouldn't make me struggle like this. And all of that is that lie, that if we're not in that muscle memory and that rhythm of delighting in Christ, that we might not recognize those lies for what they, ought, what they are. And we've got to fight against the lies with the truth, which is why it's an important to cultivate a rhythm of delighting in Christ. As we remind ourselves to rejoice in the Lord, it reminds us that we are fully dependent on him for our salvation, that he is our rock, he is our strength, he is our, our refuge, he is our deliverer, he is the one who fights our battles for us, he provides for all things, he delights in us. We are reminded that God loves us. Now this is one, if you've been around me for long, I have to always remind myself of this. I'm like, God, why would you love me? And I always am trying to perform and try and earn his love. And God's like, no, 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 no. No, I love you because of Christ. I love you because of whose you are. You have nothing to prove to me. You are mine. You are my son. And in fact, he loved us so much, he sent his only son to die on our behalf to purchase a forgiveness that we couldn't earn and give us an eternal life far better than anything we can imagine. This is why we rejoice in the Lord. And so the, the question for you today is, what does it look like for you to cultivate a rhythm of delighting in Christ? And, and I use that word cultivate intentionally for us this morning to, to convey a couple of things that I think are important and practical for us to actually live this specific verse out. First of all, to cultivate something requires you to be intentional. 
If, if we're intentional about something, if we're going to cultivate it. It means that you set your mind towards it, that you make a, a plan towards it. It's this act of, of being deliberate towards something that's important for you, all right, if you're going to cultivate it. And so if we're going to cultivate a rhythm of delighting in Christ, we're going to have to be intentional about that. That doesn't just like happen to us, right? If anything, the opposite happens, that we'll find ourselves straying and wandering and delighting in things that aren't him. And so maybe for you, that's just, and, and just thinking simply here, maybe it's just setting aside five minutes every morning, right at the start of your day, just, just to say, all right, Lord, he, here I am. He, here's some things I know to be true of you. Just five minutes, right at the beginning of your day, not, not 30, not, not just five, just to remember what Christ has done for you. Maybe at lunchtime every day, you just start reading through a psalm, like one psalm a day. You're just going to read through that and, and remember even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of your enemies chasing you down, right? That, that he is good, that he is there, he is your refuge. Maybe, maybe you just huddle your family up right before bedtime and, and pray together, thanking for God, thanking God for something just special from that day, something that you see that he did, something that you can stop and, and condition your mind to see what he has been up to throughout your day because he has been active. And, and listen, this is why Christians pray at mealtimes. Like, I don't know if you, like, understood why we do that. But, like, for us, it's almost this, like, this moment, this, this sort of daily rhythm for us of, like, every time we eat a meal, we're going to stop and remember our great provider. And so maybe for you, even this rhythm of delighting in Christ is, is just to sort of, for yourself, reclaim the significance of that moment of prayer, whether it be by yourself or with your family. That that moment is not just a, like, okay, let's throw one up so we can start eating here but like a moment to stop and pause. And, and it, again, it doesn't have to be 45 minutes. I used to work with a guy at lunchtime who'd be like, it's not time to catch up on your prayer life here. You know, it's like, we don't have to pray for 45 minutes, but let's, let's stop and remember the, the great mighty things of the Lord that th three times a day as you eat a meal or five times if you're one of those snackers or, you know, whatever, like you just stop and remember. This is like we cultivate that rhythm of delighting in Christ. And that's going to require us to be intentional. But a second thing about cultivating is cultivating insinuates growth, right? As, you, as, you're, as you're cultivating something, you're growing it. And that means that it's not where you want it to be, but you're going to work to try and get it there. And so I guess I, I want to free you up. If, if you're like me in here and you'll hear things at church and you're like, oh, I should have been doing that. I'm such a terrible Christian. You know, like uh, Jesus is so disappointed with me because I haven't been fill in the blank. You know, all of these other people are doing these things and I'm not doing it. Let me just free you up from that this morning, Okay. Like cultivating insinuates a starting place. So just start here. Start where you are. Don't feel shame about where you haven't been. Don't think back and compare yourself to other people in here and say, uh, uh, you know, I wish I could be that. No, 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 just start right where you are today. Cultivate that. Begin that journey for you. Begin plowing that soil. Let that, that plant of delighting in Christ grow. But I also use the word rhythm, that we're going to cultivate a rhythm of delighting in Christ uh, because that rhythm is just this pattern right? It's this, this, it's almost, it's like breathing, right? That there's this, this rhythm that you're going to walk through of delighting in Christ. And I, I talk some about daily, but I think also there is this, this rhythm of a, of a weekly uh, opportunity for you. And, and for us as a faith family, and as the, as the church gathers all across the world, there is a weekly rhythm for you, one in, one in which you, you gather with the saints, I think, I think it's, it's so important as we think about this rhythm that part of it is we're reminding ourselves of the truth. But I want you to know, and just look around the room for a second. Do it. Don't just look at me. Look around the room. All right? You see, so you're not in this alone. 
You're not in the business of reminding yourself to delight in Christ on your own. You have one another. And that's the beauty of the gathering. That's the beauty of this moment where we gather once a week and we celebrate these stories where we're in the middle of it. I I love that Brian shared. He's not on the end. There's not celebrating this this big victory. It's like I'm in the middle and and I'm choosing to try and believe that God is good in the middle of that, that we can come together with that, that we can sing these songs like, great is your faithfulness. All I have needed, you have provided. I I mean, we can sing those things together and then we rally around God's word together. We're reminded of the truth of God's word as we gather. One of the things, and and I'm not saying we won't ever have more instruments because right now Cesar is what we got and we love him, right? And so maybe one day there will be other instruments here, but I I never want us to lose the ability to hear one another sing the truth of the songs that we're singing, to hear each other sing that truth is a way that we remind one another to delight in Christ. As I hear you guys sing, great is your faithfulness, it encourages me. And so we gather weekly for that. And, and so that's a, a rhythm of remembrance. It's something for us to prioritize. And, and I think it also points to the significance of us being in biblical community with one another. Uh, here at Old Town Church, the way we do that is small groups. But, but there's, there's just biblical community that you are surrounding yourselves regularly with other believers who are pushing you towards Christ. There's nothing quite like having a small group of people that you know you're going to meet with week in, week out. And like, let's be honest, 50% of those weeks, you're like, I don't really feel like going. It's been a long work day. I'm not sure that this, I'm just struggling a little bit. I just don't really feel like going. But when you walk in and those people are there and they're saying, how can we pray for you? And, and, and some of those times, you just, you just needed someone to ask you and show you care for you. You need to watch someone else walking through something. You have no idea the significance of that regular gathering and having that biblical community with one another. And I'll say it just from personal experience, I'm in a season right now, I'm not in a small group for like the first time in like 15 years. And I feel myself shriveling a little bit, all right? I I feel like I can feel the Lord, and and it was wise for this particular season, but I'm already like, okay, Lord, what does it look like for me to get back into that ASAP? Because I need that. I need that regular moment where I know we're gathering with one another. And so these are these, these disciplines that we set ourselves towards, all right? This discipline of, of the corporate gathering, this discipline of being refreshed in biblical community. And, and so, and I just want to say it, I want to say it out loud and as clearly as I can. There's going to be a ton of times you do not feel like coming to church for whatever reason. I'm tired. I just don't have it. It's been an awful week, whatever, all right? People don't want to be around this. You know, you're going to have that moment. Or, or you're going you're gonna to look at your small group on Tuesday night or whatever and be like, I, not happening. I just can't go. And I'm telling you, that's when you need to press in the most. Those moments where you're thinking, because I'm going to tell you what's happened, Satan in that moment is like, let's get them away and isolate them. They're struggling. Let's get them away from community. Let's get them away from that, that weekly remembrance to delight in Christ. That is the moment where you need to press in most because you're going to start getting drug away. And so I'm telling you, when you feel that, when you think that, that's when you lean in. And tell somebody, I don't feel like coming to small group. Tell your small group, I don't feel like coming here tonight. Like, we could be honest like that, right? Like, if we can't say that in our small group, what else can we say, right? And so, I mean, I think we can be honest about that struggle to engage, but we're prioritizing it by coming regardless. Both of these things are 
a discipline. So if we're going to cultivate a rhythm of rejoicing the Lord, we've got to commit ourselves to that. We, we need these things because, listen, guys, you're going to head out into the world after the service. Thing. You're going to head out into your work week. You're going to head out, and there's going to be very little things in your life that are perpetuating this idea to delight in Christ. Everything else is going to be screaming at you, particularly this season and the holidays, like, you need this. I, I need to, I'm going to, you didn't know it until you saw this advertisement, but you need this and it will make you happy. All right. Uh, I just saw a lazy boy commercial that celebrated long live the lazy. I was like, oh gosh, is that really where we're at? Like, I guess they don't have many options uh, with their branding. But anyway, you know, it's, it's just like, we're going to head out into a world that's challenging us with those messages. And so it's all the more important for us to create these daily and weekly rhythms of remembrance to delight in Christ. Because as we do this, there will also be a growing confidence in who God is and where we stand with him. That reminder, that confidence is not rooted in us as fickle and fragile beings, but in the God who hung the stars and sustains the universe. He is the one that we are delighting in. Point number two, Christian confidence comes from boasting in Christ, not in ourselves. Look at verses two through six here. Paul says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. <laughs> Paul, uh, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. All right, now, Paul can come off like a jerk sometimes. Let's just be honest. This guy, like, if you were hanging out with this guy, I've talked to a few of you, I won't name names, that are like, I believe what Paul says is true, I just don't really like him, because he kind of, he's a little, he comes off as arrogant sometimes. But, but here's the deal, all right? Paul is, is really helping us see something important that might be important to us as well. What's happening in these verses is that Paul is warning this church in Philippi about these false teachers, all right? these people who are, are preaching a false gospel. And that false gospel, and we can see it in, in Acts 2, as, the, as the, the council got together, that false gospel is going to put them over uh, under this yoke of pursuing righteousness on their own effort, uh, righteousness through the flesh. He's speaking specifically, as he's talking about circumcision and stuff, about this group of people called the Judaizers. And what they were doing was they, they were teaching people that, hey, if you want to become a Christian, you've got to become a Jew first, all right? And so to do that, like if you're a guy, you've got to get circumcised, you have to, you have to adhere to the law, you have to become a Jew first before you can become a Christian. And, and basically, they were like, you know, Paul is, is saying, you've got to watch out for those people who are saying it's faith in Christ and the law are what's required for salvation. So Paul's saying, be, be uh, warned of them. And Paul says, be aware of those. He says, who, who, th those dogs, all right? He's, he's, he's throwing some shade here, all right? Those dogs, those, those mutilators of the flesh, that, that, that circumcision that they are seeking is only just mutilating their flesh. It's not actually producing any type of salvation that uh, is true and right and, and rooted in Christ. And so they're finding confidence in their own effort, their own flesh. All right, and, and so what Paul does in verse 3 then, he says, don't, don't, beware of these people. That's a false gospel. Here's what the true circumcision is. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence 
in the flesh. Paul defines the true believer, the true circumcision, as those who are circumcised in the heart, not in the flesh, who are circumcised by the spirit, not by man. And, and he says, uh, we're the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God. Th this word worship is not meant to express kind of what we do here on Sunday mornings where we gather and sing out loud, but this, this lifestyle of serving Christ in the way that we live. It's a word meant to, to express this lifestyle of worship that, that is only by the Spirit of God. It's not one that you just do on your own. It's one that he gave you the ability to do. It's only made possible by the Spirit of God himself, not by your own power, but by his power alone. And so in, in contrast to those who are seeking to be righteous on their own efforts, the true circumcision, the true believer is only that by dependence on the Spirit of God. It's not by self-effort. It's not by this, this work done by, by man's hand. And so they, they live a lifestyle of worship to God through their dependence on God. And, and then he says, and, and those who glory in Christ Jesus. Now this word glory, this is like my, one of the, my favorite things I studied this week. I was like, man, that's awesome. I don't know why I, I like this. But that, that definition of glory uh, means to express an unusually high degree of confidence in someone, okay? So if you think about glorying in Christ, it's to express an unusually high degree of confidence in Christ. And, and really, it's a word for bragging or boasting, that, that you are, are boasting in Christ. And so we boast in Christ, not in ourselves. The, the true believer puts an unusually high degree of confidence in Christ, not in themselves. And, and he says that we, we worship by the Spirit of God and we glory in Christ Jesus and put some confidence in the flesh. Is that, is that what the verse said? No, that we put a little bit of confidence in the flesh. No, no, no. He says we put no confidence in the flesh. And I think that's really important because this is, I, I think, Growing up for me, growing up in like church culture sometimes, it's like, I'm like 70% good. I need Jesus for the other 30%. Like if he could fill the gap in for what I couldn't do, that would be swell. But I'm a pretty good dude, all right? And, and so what, what Paul is saying here is that's a false gospel. You don't understand the state of your unrighteousness. If you think that you're some of the way there and Christ does the rest of the work for you, the reality is you put no confidence in the flesh, that you are 0% of the way there. As Ephesians 2 tells us, that you are spiritually dead. Dead people cannot make themselves alive. And so we are only made alive by the work of Christ. He brings dead people to life. So we have no confidence in the flesh because in the flesh we could do nothing because we were dead. And so Paul is saying that they worship by the Spirit of God, that they glory in Christ Jesus, they boast only in him, and they put no confidence in their flesh whatsoever. And then Paul goes on to categorically list out how he is basically a better Jew than them. He's like, if you think you're something, uh, let me tell you about myself, because you think you're great, but I'm actually better than you, all right? And, uh, and so he walks through, he says in, in uh, verse 5, he's like, you know, circumcised on the eighth day, Meaning, I've been, I've been like this from birth. This wasn't something that I happened into later in life. I was, I was born into this. I was circumcised at the appropriate time according to the law. And I'm of, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, all right? And, and the tribe of Benjamin was the favored tribe, all right? That's the tribe where uh, Israel's first king, Saul, came from, likely who Paul was named after. I, I assume that Paul was named after King Saul because he was from the tribe of Benjamin. This is this favored tribe where the actual uh, temple was on their land. And he says, I'm a Hebrew of, he of Hebrews. He's like, listen, my, uh, of all of these things, like my pedigree is better than everyone else's. 
Like what I come from is, is better uh, than, than everyone's. No one can match that. And, and beyond that, I'm a Pharisee, in, indicating that he has this, this extreme study and adherence to the law. The, the Pharisees were the ones who were, were always just, just reading over and over, studying over and over. I mean, they were a very knowledgeable. I mean, they knew that backwards and forwards. And what they would do in order to, to adhere to the law is they would continue to set laws up outside of it to make sure they didn't protect the law. It's almost this overcautiousness against violating the law of God. They knew it backwards and forwards. And Paul was at the top of those Pharisees. And then he says, it's not just what I came from. It's not just what I know but it's what I do. As to zeal, I persecute the church. As to my actions, if you want to question how good of a Jew I am, I persecute those who violate our law. I go after them. I hunt them down. I was part of actually killing people who said that Jesus was the Messiah. All right? And he says, as to the law, blameless. Drops the mic. This is, this is what Paul was doing. He's trying to set up like, hey, if you want to find your righteousness and all of these things, let me tell you right now, mine is better than yours. I check all of the boxes with perfection. And so now, before you skim over Paul's list, or maybe just ignore him because you think it's a little annoying that he did this, um, I don't want you to think that this doesn't apply to you because in our modern day context, like, what would it look like for you to make your own list? You know, what, what would it look like for you, you know, maybe it's something like, um, uh, you know, I was raised in a, a home where my parents were Christians. They, they taught us the scripture. I grew up in the church and learned all the stories about the Bible, all the, you know, I, I could sing all the songs, I can do all the things. I attended every week and I even attended extra things during the week, like a Bible study or a prayer gathering or a small group. As for zeal, I'm part of a church plan. All right. You want to know how, how important this is to me? I served in kids ministry. I went on mission trips. I fed the homeless. I shared the gospel with my barista. I gave 10% of my money to the church, and sometimes I gave more, all right, because it was sacrificial giving. And, and, and so, you know, and, and I could totally uh, go Paul on you right here. Uh, you know, you think you're something. Let me tell you about myself. I was a pastor's kid growing up, and you know what I did? I went to church early on Sunday mornings, and I stayed late after Sunday morning. And then in the afternoons, we clean the bathrooms. And then we unlock the church for Sunday night service. And then what do we do on Monday? We came back for visitation. Would you know what we did on Tuesday? We came back for evangelism training. Some of y'all Southern Baptists from the 90s know what I'm talking about here. All right, Wednesday nights, discipleship training. And that was just Sunday through Wednesday. Sometimes there was stuff on the weekends. Like I was there literally all the time if we could boast in these things, that might be what we might do now. Like, here's all these things that I, I do for the Lord. And this que the, the question that this passage makes, makes you ask is, are you confident in those things to give you eternal life? Are you kids, students, adults, are you trusting in your parents' faith to bring you salvation? That just because your parents believe something, that it means that it counts for you as well? Are you trusting your knowledge or your church attendance? Are you trusting your good behaviors or your good deeds? Really ask yourself this morning, are you trusting at all in these types of good upbringing, good works to bring you salvation? Are you hoping to gain some type of approval with God through your behavioral righteousness? And so what Paul is saying here is that true believers put no confidence in their own efforts or their upbringing or, or their obedience to the law, but their confidence is placed only in Christ, fully in Christ, to be their righteousness. 
And I always compare this to running on a treadmill. Like all of these things I just listed, are you exerting a lot of effort and getting nowhere? All right, might be good for exercise, it's not good for salvation, right? Like you're doing all of these things and that treadmill's going and you're sweating all this energy, doing all this stuff. For salvation, it means nothing. You're going nowhere. And so who are you trusting in for salvation? Are you trusting in Christ or are you trusting in yourself? Confidence comes to us when we put no trust in ourselves, but most only in Christ for our salvation. And this confidence comes because it's rooted in the great God who never changes, not in a, a frail being like ourselves. And if I was trusting myself to be righteous, like I would have little confidence that I could maintain that pace, that I could maintain all of these things, that I could last all the way to the point of righteousness and salvation. But if my trust is in Christ, we can rest in the fact, listen church, he has finished that work. It's done, it's final, it's complete. Your salvation is not this thing that's hanging on there perilously to see like, can you make it to the end of life or will you end up out sinning the grace of God? No, you can't do that. It's done, it's finished, it's final. And so we, we trust fully 100% in the grace that's freely offered to us and that's salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And, and so Christian confidence comes from boasting in Christ, not in ourselves. And that confidence grows all the more and more as we boast in Christ. As we, as we continue to, to have confidence in him, and play, it actually begins to feed itself because we see more and more the truth of the gospel and how it impacts every single day of your life. And so ask yourself this morning, am I trusting in myself or in Christ for salvation? And I, and I would just say to you this morning, if you're trusting at all in yourself, 10% in yourself, then you've not fully trusted in Christ. Finally, Paul concludes these verses, and, and I think what we can get from this is Christian confidence, point number three, Christian confidence comes from knowing Christ as our treasure today and forever. Verse 7 through 11 say this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. As, as we conclude here, we got this great passage right here at the end that is, could have been a sermon in and of itself, right? One theologian calls this a, a, a divine audit on life. This is an audit on your life. Like you, you, you look back on your life and, and try and see what has been of value, what's of gain and what's of loss. This is a moment to consider the value of what we treasure in life. And what Paul says is, is whatever gain I had, I count as loss. And think about what Paul did lose. I mean, he had all, I mean, he had power, he had prestige, he had fame, he had notoriety, and he, all of that he laid aside to suffer for the sake of Christ because Christ was worth it. And, and you know, so, so we, have, we have two dogs. One of them is bigger than the other. Uh, she's about a year and a half. Her name's Maple. She's the best dog ever. I don't care about your dog. She's better than yours. And, um, but so we take Maple on walks. She's full of lots of energy. She's a 65 pound double doodle who just is like, 
you know, she's like, let's go. So um, we walk Maple regularly, and um, we, have, we live in a neighborhood, so we walk her, and every once in a while, and I won't visually de demonstrate this for you, but this starts to do the waddle, you know what I'm talking about, when you're walking your dog, and you're like, it's coming, all right? Like, she's trying to find, like, sniffing for that right spot, and then she, like, turns around and, like, does that. You know, I don't know why dogs keep, like, turning around until they're, like, three turns, and then I can poop. But, like, um, so, so Maple, what we do is um, Maple, we walk her, and then she poops, okay? And I don't think I'm telling you anything you've not heard or that you don't know to be life's experience. But she poops, and it's poop, and it's smelly, and it's hot sometimes. Um, and then we pick it up with a bag. We pick up the dog poop and we put it in a bag because it's not cool to leave it on the sidewalk of your neighbor's yard for any of you. And so, and so we pick up dog crap. And, and the reason I needed to make a point about dog crap this morning, and the, the most you've probably ever heard about that in church before, is that Paul, essentially, what he does is he lists out all of these accomplishments, all of these things, and he's like, it's dog crap. That's, it's just this steaming hot pile of nothing. I, can't, I don't care about it. It doesn't matter. It's worthless. It's, it's waste. All of those things, all, everything I had spent my life towards since I was a kid, my everything I put into all of that study, all that pursuit of my profession, all of those things, I look at it now and I look at Christ and all of its dog crap. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. It's all loss compared to, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. All of those things that I was stacking up, they do not matter in comparison to knowing Christ. All of these things that I once thought were valuable, I know the true treasure is Christ himself. Church, we get to know the Savior of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things. What a joy and a privilege. He is the treasure. Church, he is the treasure. He is the one worth pursuing to know him and be known by him. This is the greatest joy of the Christian life. And so Paul says all of those things, I, I count as, uh, as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, that I may gain Christ. And in verse 9 through 11, what Paul does is, is he goes through this. There's these like really three key words about salvation that Paul's going to, he doesn't use the words in here, but they're basically uh, what we can see in verses 9 through 11. It's this idea of justification, sanctification, glorification. Paul's going to walk through in verses 9, 10, and 11 what it means to be justified or past our salvation past, what it means to be sanctified or salvation present, and then glorified our salvation future. He says in verse 9, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. First, we're talking about justification. What do we do about our past, this, this past sin, this past rejection of God, what do we do about that? Well, we, we, we can either seek to be justified on our own. Now, justified means to be made righteous or to be counted as righteous. And so we're talking about justification. We're, we're saying, how can we be counted as righteous? What can we do to be 
counted as righteous? What about our spiritual past? Well, the reality is, the bad news is that none of us is righteous. That there is, there is none, no, not one, who is righteous. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what that does is that leaves us lacking. It, it leaves us uh, without hope. It leaves us doomed. Uh, or, or maybe there's a way that we can find righteousness somewhere else than by ourselves or in someone else. And that someone is Jesus Christ. He stepped in. He lived that righteous life, that perfectly righteous life, earning the ability for him to be in heaven for eternity. But what he did was he traded places with us. He said, this is what I'm going to do because you can't be righteous on your own. I'm going to be it for you. I'm going to be your righteousness for you. And I'm going to give you the opportunity. And Paul says this word twice in this verse, through faith in Jesus, that we can be justified. We can be counted as righteous. And so this is how we are saved. We, we are counted righteous only by faith in Jesus. That's our, our salvation past. What do we do with our past? Well, Jesus stepped in for us. And so I want to ask you this morning, have you placed your faith in Jesus for salvation? And I want you to think just because you came this morning that you are saved. Also, I'm not trying to talk you out of it. But I do want each and every one of us in this room to wrestle with that question, have I placed my faith in Jesus alone to be my righteousness, to be my salvation? Maybe today is the day that God calls you to that surrender to him. And so I just, just urge you, put your faith in him. And having dealt with our spiritual past in verse 9, Paul now turns to our present and our future in verses 10 and 11. In our present spiritual state, there is growth. Now that we are believers, there is growth in Christ, something called sanctification, that we are being sanctified. We're being more, made more and more like him. We're growing more into his image while we are here on earth. And so Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is the reality of those uh, of, us who are, uh, of us who are in Christ, that we get to know Christ now. And he says that I, that I may know the power of his resurrection. That we not just, we're not just knowing about him, which is in contrast to those Jews or in contrast into the Bible Belt, where we have a lot of knowledge of Christ, that we actually know him personally through salvation, but that there is this relationship now. We get to know him in an ongoing sense. Your salvation wasn't just this one-time event, and now like God's like, okay, deuces, have a good time with that. He's like, no, 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 I'm walking with you. I'm putting my spirit in you. You get to know me on a daily basis. And what I'm going to do is make you more and more like me day by day by day by day. And so Paul says to, to know the power of his resurrection. Here's the reality for those who are in Christ. Because not just that Jesus died, but because he rose from the dead, he defeated the power of sin and death. Now, what does that mean for you? As we share in his death and we share in that resurrection, we now have the power over sin and death. Not like in a wizard, like, you know, we can't do things like that. But like that sin no longer has power over us. That we were once, as Romans 6 describes, us slaves to sin, but now we are free. We are free from that. We are free to a life of denying sin. We are free to a life of rejecting sin. We are free to a life of defeating sin. Now, we're not great at it, right? That's sanctification. We're going to grow at it, all right? It's something that we grow in as we grow in Christ. And that's the spiritual present of believers, sanctification. 
Justification was our past. Sanctification is our present. That we get to know Christ more and more. And Paul ends with the future of every believer. Glorification. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This future of an eternity. Delighting in Christ forever. As a, as a, as a being who has been perfected in every way an eternal resurrection of the dead, the eternal home of those who belong in Christ. This is something for, every, for us to look forward to, church. We are here in the middle, and he has given us his spirit. Praise him for that. But this is not the end for us. This is just the beginning. And so as a people of God, that as, a, as one faith family, we long for that together. But as an individual, you are looking forward to that day where you get to be with him completed. The work is done. There's no more of carrying this old sin with us. It is complete and it is finished, ushered into an eternity with him. Glorification. We get to know Christ and be with him forever. And so the question for us this morning is this. Do you see knowing Christ as the true treasure to pursue? Or are you caught up in pursuing the things of the world? What is it that you treasure? For, for me, I'll like some of the things I, I struggle with most are like my family. Like I, those are things that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up as idols as opposed to Christ. I'm going to pursue them or quite honestly as a pastor like you guys, like, I, like you at times, your approval, your delight, your growth in the Lord can be something that I pursue as my treasure. And that's not what we are called to. That's something the Lord of work he's doing in me that our treasure is him. And then from him flows all of these other things, this pursuit of him, all the things I listed earlier about being in biblical community and being a part of church and serving uh, the needy and sharing the gospel with others, all of that flows from treasuring Christ. We don't do all of those things so that Christ treasures us. All right? And so it begins with that relationship with him. So back to our big idea. We can confidently rejoice in our relationship with God because it's rooted in the work of Christ and not our own efforts. Now, church, I just want to challenge us with one thing, okay? Christians should be the most joyful people on the planet. And I'm not saying you walk around all the time and you're like, it's a happy day, everybody. Like, I mean, like, don't be that, like, that can get annoying, all right? If you're really there, I'm glad you're there, be that. But if you're, if you're just manufacturing that, don't be that person. What I am saying is, there is a, a root of joy in us that in the midst of everything, we can walk through all of that and have this steady confidence in the Lord that produces a joy in us, maybe not an external happiness all the time, but this trust that's rooted in him that we can walk through our days. And that joy that we have should be an evidence to the world of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we get church to know him. And so a question for you today that I would love for you to wrestle with this week. I'd love for you to take this one away, even the rest of our service for you to wrestle with, but even in these moments as we have a time of communion, is my life marked by a confident joy in Christ? And if not, why so? And I would love for you to bring that before the Lord and let the God who sanctifies you meet you in that place. Let me pray for you, church. Father, we thank you that you made a way when we could not. And God, that you have done the work, salvation, sanctification, glory. This is all your work, and we get to rest 
in it. And so let us, God, I pray that you would root us in that joy, that confidence in you. And that our lives would just be a reflection of the confidence that we have in our, in our Father and our Savior. And so God, do that work in us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.